Martha Van Houten, and each week I'm here with Brian Buck, lead pastor at Oaks Parish, to go a little deeper into Sunday sermon and to keep the conversation going throughout the week as we journey together in learning what it means to abide in Christ for the renewal of all things. So let's dive in. Welcome back to the Oaks Parish podcast. It's been a while. We took a break from our conversations in December and January for our weekly Advent and Christmas and Epiphany reflections, but we're back. And this is going to be a really good series for discussion. As a bit of an introduction yesterday, we began a brand new series called Cheerful Giving. And I'm just wondering if anyone out there was thinking like, oh, are we going to talk about money? for the next four weeks. For some reason, the topic of money can really put us on edge, some of us more than others probably, but it can be a really sensitive subject or create a lot of defensiveness or feelings of anxiety or guilt. You can just ask my husband, Jeff, I I really hate to talk about money. And he's learned some specific strategies for kind of approaching the subject to make it a little more, uh, or to make me a little more amenable to the conversation. But particularly after the beginning of this series yesterday, I'm very aware that my hesitancy to talk about it is probably a signal to me that I might need to take some inventory of my relationship with money, which is why I love how this discussion was framed yesterday by the foundation that generosity and stewardship and our relationship to money completely intersects with or kind of follows the trajectory of our relationship with God, the way we see God, the way we approach him will directly impact how we're able to trust him with everything in life, including our resources. And particularly in a culture that just loves money, where the pursuit of wealth and status and power is a cornerstone of our American culture, I think we really carry around a lot of confusion and a lot of competing beliefs and values. So this refreshing reminder and conviction that God is the owner of our resources sets us free from that deception and the power and the limitations of money. So we're going to dive deeper into these matters in this episode. And what's really exciting is that we have a special guest with us this time. Brian, will you do the honors of introduction? Yeah, Martha, we're excited to have special guest Steve Gray joining us on the podcast this week to help us kick off our Cheerful Giving series. Uh, Steve and his wife, Mary Lou, have been married for 45 years, have three children, six grandchildren, The Grays have been part of our community here at Oaks since the early days. And Steve and Mary Lou just completed a three-year term of service on our leadership team. Steve is an elder and Mary Lou as our director of children's ministry. Steve is a graduate of the University of Oregon. And after some time rambling around Europe with Mary Lou after college, he cut his hair and took a desk job in banking. Steve has a broad experience in the banking industry, first in management training, branch management, lending, and ultimately wealth management. In addition to banking, Steve has volunteered his time with Junior Achievement, helping young students understand the world of personal finance. All said, as you can see, Steve has spent his life working with people all across the spectrum, understanding how to handle money. And that's why we're excited to have him on the podcast today. Steve, thanks for being with us. Thank you, Brian. I appreciate that introduction and looking forward to a great discussion today. Awesome. Well, we'll we'll dive right in. 
Steve, having worked in everything from wealth management in your career to volunteering with junior achievement, what are some lessons that you've learned about people's relationship with money? Well, it's really interesting because I have really seen the spectrum um, and I've been in wealth management since 1995. So it's been a considerable number of years. And frankly, one of my major concerns about even getting in wealth management was that people might be inconsiderate, might be, might hold on too tightly to their wealth, might not appreciate anybody giving them advice uh, and maybe wouldn't appreciate um, what we can do for them. And I've actually found just the opposite. And really the, the people that I know that I have worked with, frankly, that have the most wealth typically are the most generous. Um, I have some, some very wealthy clients that all they're thinking about as they get older is how they can give their money away. And so if they have a choice between giving it to the government or giving it to their family, or giving it to charity, that's they'd much rather give it to their family and charity. So um, that's really nice. And frankly, what I've appreciated is some of my wealthiest clients, you would never know had that wealth. Um, they live conservatively, they live modestly, um, they're always thinking of others. Um, and so that's been really refreshing to me to, to be able to have a, a good conversation with people about their wealth um, and be able to give them advice and input. In fact, it was kind of interesting. I had a prospect that kind of on the other side of that spectrum, I have a, a prospect that sold his business for $25 million. We had some pretty detailed discussions and he was afraid that wasn't going to be enough. And mm. so a question that I get oftentimes is how much is enough? And that's, you know, that's different for everybody, but he had not done any budgeting. He really had no idea what he was spending. He was probably in his mid forties, late forties, had a, a relatively young family and was concerned 25 million was going to be enough. So again, it's, it depends on the people, but um, the people that I have found that are most content are people that find ways to give. Wow. That's fascinating. And I mean, I think it's even indicative of our relationship with money that we can hold on to it too tightly asking that question. Is it enough? Yeah. And it's really funny because that is, that, that's the million dollar question we get asked all the time. And, and I think, and rightly so, people, um, as, they, as, they approach, as they get older and as they approach retirement, they're thinking about their lifestyle, thinking about what's important. Um, and so I think, I think it's important that they do understand what the future could look like. And we do a lot of modeling for people, helping them understand what they're spending, understanding what, to understand what they have to live on over their lifespan. But um, it's, it's really interesting. As I said, my wealthiest clients um, typically want to give the majority, if not all of it away. And that's typically charity. So my two, my two wealthiest clients are the most charitable of anybody that I work with. Interesting observations that you're able to make through your vocation. Uh, more personally speaking, how have you seen God at work in your own financial journey? Well, that's, um, it's interesting because in 08, 09, when we were going through the financial crisis, um, my income was down. Um, it, was a, it was a difficult time for us. We didn't have an emergency savings, which we needed. We had money that we had set aside for retirement, we did, but we didn't, have, we didn't have any liquidity. 
And so I remember very distinctly talking with Mary Lou about options. Uh, we met with our financial advisors, our CPA, our attorney. We met with Christian friends. We did a lot of praying. Uh, and frankly, we were, um, we very easily could have panicked. And yet we stepped back and, you know, we talked about maybe we should sell our house. Maybe we should get rid of one of our cars. Should Mary Lou go back to work? Um, you know, we had two kids in college and a, and, um, a student in private high school. And so we have a lot, we had a lot of expenses and there was, there's always something unexpected that comes up with, with kids especially, but why we just recognized that we needed to budget closer and we needed to set some money aside for uh, an emergency fund. So we did that and my income increased. We prayed a lot about what I should do um, and God just provided for us. Um, we, we relied on him and, instead of our natural instinct was to panic. When it comes to kind of a sensitive topic, I'm really humbled by your willingness to just share openly kind of about struggle and the process of it and kind of destigmatize financial struggle or how we've all had to come to terms with, you know, certain situations or our beliefs about money and our relationship to it. And I'm struck really by how you mentioned that rather than panicking, you found yourselves going to prayer and also kind of consulting with community or with others instead of it being a silent struggle, you know, bringing others along on the journey or looking for wisdom in those sources too. And I think, again, that's important instead of going towards maybe shame. Well, it's interesting because we, we sh shared this with our kids too. We, you know, they, they recognized that this was a hard time for us and uh, we knew we needed to make some changes. We needed to really assess our expenses and express and, and as it turned out, um, both Emily and Carly worked uh, during their college years and Tim worked during the summers and um, they rec they recognized that we needed them to contribute to. And they were at the age they could do that. So we, we felt it was important to be communicating what we were thinking and they provided some great input. So I don't think we should ever be afraid to talk about those things with our family and with close friends, um, I know in my in my parents' generation, I I never had any idea how much my dad made. I didn't know what our financial situation was. They never shared anything with us until they got older, um, and I don't think that's necessarily the, the right approach. I think it's important that you're honest with your family, let them know what you're doing. Yeah, it's it's fascinating, Steve, to consider the fact that there can be this generational distinction where we've created. Uh, money uh, as this kind of private affair. They're not supposed to talk about it. Parents don't even talk to children about it. And then everybody grows up kind of not knowing what to do with money. <laughs> uh, and we're living in the, the wealthiest civilization in human history. So I think there's some, um, some wonderful opportunities for discipleship within our families to have open and honest conversations about money and what we're learning and pass that along uh, to our kids and in, in, in your family that, that made all the difference in the world. Yeah. And it's interesting that you say that because we have a lot of those discussions with our clients, the ones that have accumulated wealth that we want them to share with their families. So they understand what they might inherit someday. Uh, we were very careful how much we disclose and they always give us permission to what level we can dis disclose their wealth. But 
particularly as it comes to charity, we always say, get your family involved. Talk mm -hmm. to them about what their priorities are. Set them, put a family mission statement together. What is it that you want to do with your wealth? And and some of our, you know, our wealthiest clients, there's no way in the world they could ever spend what they have. And their children don't necessarily need what they have. So let's let's think about, let's talk about what we could do with this and and have a family meeting and have maybe maybe everybody can contribute to an organization that they would want to give to. So um, I think that's been, that's really healthy for people to have those discussions. So we'll have those family meetings, make sure we understand the guidelines, the, the you know, the, the, the rules of engagement, but um, getting your family involved can be a really positive thing. What's fascinating, Steve, is that uh, Tim Keller says that wealth is relative, that we really only compare ourselves to the people in our own socioeconomic tax bracket. Do we have enough? Do we have too little? What's just right? But everything you're saying as you're talking about even some of your wealthiest clients, it's all relative to all of us. Is that the reality is we're all living in the wealthiest civilization in human history. And we can all have those sorts of family conversations. So the key question from this week's sermon is who owns it? And what difference does that question make in your own mind for our relationship with money? Well, we have this discussion frequently um, because my inclination is to hold on to it myself and spend it on what I want to spend it. And Mary Lou's always thinking, you know, how can we give it away? You know, what, what would God want us to do with this? And so it's been really good. I mean, instinctually, we always think about when we think about earning we've earned all this we've worked hard for it it's really ours but it really isn't ours i mean god could take all that away he could take our home away he could take our health away he could take our money away anytime he wanted to so it's really been good for me to step back and say you know god really owns this and so now you know we sit down at least twice a year look at what our financial situation is and figure out who we want to give to um and so that's really that's really been a blessing for us. You know, it's, it's amazing because I think I, I hear of stories of people that are living on much, much less than we are, and they're still tithing. And I think, you know, how can people do that? How, how can they live on X dollars and still be able to give money away? And, you know, I think, you know, I think of even our own family and, and my kids, um, Two of my my kids are self-employed and they don't know where their money's going to come from often. And yet they're always giving, they're always giving away not only money, but their time and and um, and their energy. And so we can do that if we hold on to it lightly. If we hold on to it too tightly, it's it's a burden. Um, so I always I always think I need to be able to just give this all away. And that's not easy sometimes for sure but it's the right thing to do. One of the authors that I've been reading uh, this, this past month uh, is from a book called True Riches. And uh, one of the authors of that book said he thought that when he made more money, that was going to lessen his anxiety. It actually <laughs> only increased his anxiety. So it's fascinating. Sometimes in those seasons in all of our lives where we've had the least amount of money we've been the most free-handed open-handed and we've been the most generous 
There is no doubt about that. I think about that a lot as I see people that have accumulated wealth. They've sold a business. They've never necessarily had wealth. And all of a sudden they sell their business for $20 million or $30 million or whatever it is, $5 million. And all of a sudden they've got all these complications they got to think about. How much uh, do I own taxes? I've got to do some estate planning. What? How much is the government going to get? What about the, uh, people coming to them, wanting, to, wanting money in their family or friends or whatever it is? And so it doesn't make life easier. And I, I think that all the time, having money doesn't make life happier. Um, it's a tool. It's, it's great to be able to be comfortable, whatever, and comfortable is different for everyone. You know, I always used to hate the term, well, well, they're really rich. Well, what does rich mean? Rich, rich has a lot of definitions. Um, you can be rich and not have any money. So I think it is all relative for sure. And I think that, um, you know, if we hold on to money lightly and realize that we can be a blessing to others, that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to um, appreciate what we have, and we certainly do. But the the happiest, frankly, the happiest people I know uh, are people that are willing to give it away, whatever that might be. Uh, one of the ways that I thought about this question about who owns it was thinking about some of my own story growing up as a pastor's kid and my, my mom worked part-time also, but money was something that we didn't talk about. Like you were mentioning before Steve, my, my parents a hundred percent listen to this podcast too, but they'll be okay <laughs> with the fact I think <laughs> I'm about to share this, but as a younger child, like, I don't remember being aware of the fact that finances were tighter and then growing up as an adolescent, it was just like, picking up on clues that things were under control. They were fine. You know, we were able to vacation, go out to eat, get clothing from the stores. I liked things like that. But despite this reality, it was communicated to me, sometimes implicitly, sometimes explicitly, that other people should not know how much we do have. We don't want the congregants, you know, to know that that we're doing all right, that their pastor is able to go on vacation or uh, or live just within the boundaries of, you know, the nice part of town or that kind of thing or whatever. And why not? I guess just because pastors should just barely be squeaking by because money is like the root of all evil. So I absolutely carry that with me today. And when I think about the question then of who owns it, I think it gives me some freedom from the desire to hide or the feeling like I have to hide what I do or do not have, that my job is to be a good steward of what I've been given and that guilt or shame or false humility isn't helpful to stewardship. It's not part of it. So you can only talk about money at a 30,000 foot level uh, for so long uh, before you really start to get in the nuts and bolts. And so, Steve, there might be some listeners who are trying to figure out financial fundamentals. And in your experience, what are those cornerstones of personal finance that are essential to generosity? I look at four cornerstones. That, that seems to make sense. Budgeting certainly is important. And that, that means things that can bring up very negative connotations, but important for sure. Uh, know what you have. Um, tithing is certainly something that God wants us to do, he expects us to do. So that certainly should be a part of this conversation. I talked briefly about having an emergency fund. What does that mean? Um, and why is it important? And then fourthly, I would say savings. You know, we need to save. Um, God wants us to save. That doesn't mean we 
we give everything away uh, and we don't, he doesn't want us to give every, everything away, not have anything. But um, so we need to think about what savings mean. Steve, uh, you touched on budgeting as the first of these cornerstones. If somebody's trying to get started with a budget, how should they think about that or go about that? Well, there's some good books available. Um, certainly one, one option is Dave Ramsey is, is, talks a lot about budgeting. Um, and I think that that's something that can give you some idea of how to start saving uh, and how to start budgeting. I mean, we all need to know how much we're spending every month. And, you know, the nice thing is there's some really good software tools that are available that um, you were talking, Brian, when you and I visited, what you called it, you called it um, rocket money. Rocket money is a way that you could start budgeting. I have, and most banks now, and our, our wine company that I work for has a really nice budgeting tool. I, I get, um, I can look up any, any day I want, how much I've, how much I'm spending on groceries and what am I spending on, on entertainment and what am I putting aside in savings for retirement or whatever, I can see exactly what that is. And so um, it does, it's not as complicated. I know it's a topic people don't like to hear, but we all should have an idea of how much we're spending every month. And are we spending more than what we're making? You know, and I have to admit it, it, it wasn't fun and easy. Uh, and that, and there were certainly years in our marriage where we didn't know what we were spending, but it's not comfortable to do that. It's really nice to be able to say to Mary Lou, we spent $800 a month this, this month on groceries. Is that good or bad? Did we have enough? Did we not have enough to eat? Um, did we entertain? Um, and, and now we can track that. So it wasn't, it's, it's not difficult, but important. So I think, um, we, we can't. We can't live in a vacuum and not have any idea what we're spending. Yeah, you know, one of the interesting things that happens for me as a pastor is that God always seems to be doing a work in me uh, in preparation for a sermon series long before I ever preached the sermon. <laughs> so <laughs> so uh, about three months ago, uh, I felt God really lead me into um, kind of a, a focused analysis of what was going on with our uh, personal finances. And, you know, I've, I've had a spreadsheet, just an Excel spreadsheet that I've worked from for years that just had our budget on it. Um, but the cool thing about a tool like Rocket Money is that it's categorizing things for you. It has uh, an intuitive learning element to it, where it's learning how you categorize things. So it's kind of instantly categorizing things. It's real-time data. Uh, you can share it with your spouse, uh, for example. And it just, it enables you to, to, to know what you're doing. And that might at times feel like a downer, <laughs> but for me, it's been absolutely liberating. You know, knowledge is power. And it's been, uh, there's been a lot of freedom in knowing what's what and what's going on. Well, I think that's so important what you're saying, Brian, because it's, it's really easy for one spouse to do everything and not share. Um, and so I've, I've really tried to make it whenever we have an investment management meeting, whenever we're talking about 
what we're going to give away for the year, what what our budget looks like. I always want Mary Lou, Lou to be included in that. I want her to know our passwords. I want her to know how to get access to the information. I want her. I want her to know who our professionals are if something were to happen to me. Um, and so that's that communication is so important. It's so, and you hear stories of business owners that pass away and their spouse doesn't even know how to open the file cabinet and has no idea what they have. That is just not a good position to be in. And there's no reason for that to happen. So just uh, real quick, you touched on emergency fund earlier. How should pe people be thinking about an emergency fund? Well, I, th I think kind of a, a rule of thumb is even to have a thousand dollars put away. Um, and, and I know there's been studies that have done that have said, you know, between 40 and 60% of Americans can't write a $400 check if they had to buy tires or whatever it might be. Um, and so I think having some money set aside for an emergency fund, a thousand is a great way to, 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 to start. Um, and then you, that can accumulate over time. I mean, I, I figured, you know, if you put $25 a week away uh, and, and an automatic payment into a savings account, that's $100 a month, that's $1,200 a year. And we all spend $25 on, on coffee or a snack or whatever um, that we could save. And we wouldn't even notice it. We wouldn't even see it. So it's certainly possible to, to start that emergency fund. And it is, it's really been a relief for us because we didn't have much liquidity. And we just made that a priority for us. So your washing machine goes out, we don't have to put it on a credit card. Um, and so I think having an emergency fund, having that cushion um, and, and kind of what I, the rule of thumb I've heard is you should have between three and six months in savings um, in case you lost your job or there's some kind of emergency or something were to come up, um, having that cushion. And I realize that takes some time. I'm not saying it's easy, but that just gives you some cushion. And that cushion is, is a real relief, frankly, to be able to have, have some money set aside for something that you don't expect. We had a great question come in from one of the young people in our community along really similar lines. And I think you're the perfect person to respond to this because of your work with junior achievement and helping young people to understand their relationship with money. So he's 16 years old and he asked about how as a teenager, he can have a proper and God honoring relationship with money. Would you say anything different to a 16 year old or what are some other things he can consider to help him kind of understand these financial fundamentals in light of his age and in light of his understanding of God as the owner of his, of his resources? Well, that's a big question. Um, an important question for sure. Um, I, I would highly recommend, I think it's 17. You can open an account if your parents are on it. Legally, you need to be 18. That's the legal age in Oregon to be able to execute a contract or and a banking account is a contract. Um, so, but you could be on an, on an account with a parent. Um, and so I would highly recommend opening a checking account and, um, you know, as you're earning money, be, be, putting things in there, open a checking account and a savings account. And I, I know when I first went away to college, that was the most fun thing I got to do was go, go down to the bank and open an account and be able to write checks. We don't write checks anymore, but, but just learning that, you know, learning that system and learning how that works and putting, putting money aside for things that I want. 
And what is really exciting now is that ac there's access to so many tools, so many ways to start start a small investment account. Put $500 in a Schwab account and start buying, looking at a few stocks that you might buy. But all that and all that to be all that being said, um, it's interesting because Mary Lou and I were talking about when Tim first started working and he asked us about tithing. Should I be giving money? Um, and how much should I give? And so we had a very frank conversation with him about when he was about 18. And um, we said, you know, that's God expects us to do that. So make sure that it, when you're thinking about the money that you're saving now, and he wanted to buy a car and he wanted to pay off his student loan and he had other things he wanted to do. I, we just said to him, don't, don't forget that that money really isn't yours. Um, it's yours, but it isn't yours. Um, and so think about how you can give money away too. Um, so I think that's, that's an important part of discussion with kids. And, and what I love to talk to, to Junior Achievement about, particularly is credit history, because that's so, so important. And, and we all know that you go away to college and you're going to get 15 visa applications from every bank and, and you know anybody that can offer a visa card, whether it's Nordstrom's or an Apple Pay card or whatever it is. And you got to know what that means. And um, so that's a big part of what we talk about is making sure that if you have a, if you do get a credit card and, and I think credit can be important, it is important, but managing it is more important and you shouldn't ever be borrowing something on a credit card that you have no idea how you're going to pay it back. That's great. Also, I still write checks, by the way. <laughs> well, there are a few that write checks. <laughs> They haven't totally gone away yet. The time is going to come where those checks are going to go away. That's just the reality. I'll get ready. I better get ready for it. Yes. So, Steve, you just mentioned, you know, credit card companies, you know, what comes in the mail, um, particularly to students these days. It seems like almost monthly, uh, it, whether it's the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times, I'm reading about the unprecedented financial challenge of our age being debt, student loan debt and credit card debt. Any spiritual or practical advice for listeners who are drowning in debt? Well, that's a it's a hard situation. And, and I, frankly, I, I really feel for students now because of the fact that school is so expensive and living expenses have increased dramatically. And so, um, you know, to be able to afford to go to school uh, is difficult. And so uh, I know, I know we as a country are trying to address the student debt, debt issue where we, uh, I, I was reading over the weekend that president Biden is going to be forgiving about $74 million in debt for people that have gotten out of school and they're working in government positions. Um, and they're going to be forgiving some of their student debt. Um, I have colleagues that I work with that have student loans, and it is a huge burden. And, you know, typically the student loan debt rates are, at least years ago, they were competitive. They're much better than a credit card rate. But um, you've got to have a payment plan, and you've got to be communicating to them. And if you're having difficulty, you don't ignore the fact that that is something you owe. Um, you're getting benefit from it. It's something that has to be repaid. So if there are issues that you're faced with, have a conversation with the student debt provider and let them know your situation. Work out a payment plan with them. It's, it's easy sometimes, I think, as a student to say, well, you know, I'm out of school. I'm trying to do my best. Um, I'll worry about paying that later. Well, 
later comes pretty fast. So don't forget about that. As far as credit cards, um, I always say to students, particularly, if you're going to put something on a credit card, you better know how you're going to repay. Um, and, and I know that we have done that in our life time that um, we, we don't keep ever keep a balance on a credit card. We always pay it off um, because the rates are too high. Um, you know, you shouldn't be paying 25 or 27 or 30 percent. And so um, we have we've had those discussions with our kids. And and I tell students all the time, I mean, that's that's outrageous interest. And if you only pay the minimum payment, it's going to take you years to pay that back. So um, I think the, the bottom line is, and I'm not just talking about students, I'm talking about anybody that has debt, and it happens. There's medical expenses, there's unforeseen things, it might be a divorce, there's lots of reasons. So I'm not trying to sound critical that credit cards are terrible and you should never have one. I'm not saying that, I'm just saying you've gotta have a plan. And you have to make, you have to make choices and you're gonna to have to sacrifice. I mean, you're gonna to have to say, how are we going to pay this back? And maybe we don't go on vacation this year. Maybe we don't buy some things that we would like um, because you, you've committed that. It's a legal obligation and it's got to be repaid. Maybe someday student debt's going to get easier um, and some of it might get forgiven. But until that happens, uh, it's an obligation. It's got to be repaid. Just in terms of practically re repaying it, <clears throat> there's two methods that are mentioned by the financial gurus. Uh, you can Google them both, uh, the snowball method and the avalanche method. Uh, the, if you have multiple debts in particular, uh, Dave Ramsey is the one who is uh, kind of the, the best advocate for the snowball method. And that means taking your smallest debt, getting that paid off, then using the money that you save from that debt to help pay off the next largest debt, so on and so forth. It, it kind of snowballs in, in this attack against your debt. The avalanche method is addressing your highest interest debt first, because that's what's costing the most, and then working from there. But people can Google uh, snowball versus avalanche. I think there's a whole article on it about Nerd Wallet as kind of a practical plan to attack debt. I'm kind of wondering too about any elements of like shame or guilt that come into play in seasons of debt. You know, those feelings like it's all my fault. I made a mistake. I shouldn't have done whatever. I don't know. Uh, and I suppose this question could be for either of you. There's definitely like the practical and logistical advice for, advice for how to tackle it. But how might we also begin to process through those you know, convictions or types of feelings about our debt on a spiritual level? There is no doubt there's a lot of guilt there. And, and I've had those conversations with people. And um, and I what, what I have done and what I've counseled them, I said, you know, what's done is done. So it's a new day. You know, we need to start. You need to start over. You are where you are and you've got to put a plan together. Um, and so I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying it's fun, but um, there's a lot of guilt when people start charging because it's, it's so easy to do. And it's, you know, as you started the conversation, Brian, our, we are, we live in a consumer culture and every, everything we're watching is you need this. You've got to have that. Look what so-and-so has, look what your neighbor has, look what that star football player is wearing. You got to have those shoes. 
And, you know, we buy some of those things and it doesn't make any difference. I mean, it doesn't make us happier. It's certainly, uh, it, it's certainly, it might be fulfilling for a few days, but, you know, I, I remember laughing at a guy that we both bought a new car. This was years ago. We both bought a new car at the same time. And I was, and I, I'm a car guy. I always have been. And, and um, so he was saying, yeah, he said, I, I, you know, it was awfully fun buying this car, but it's going to be a used car tomorrow. So it's a form of transportation and I think it's great, but I, I don't live my life for just having a new car because it's not going to be new very long. And, and he was right. You know, he really was. So um, all those things look great and all those temptations are there, but you've got to step back and say, is this really necessary now? Um, and, and pray to God to take away that guilt and give it, lift it up to him. And he can show us ways to get, I mean, I've heard of stories, as uh, as I'm sure you have, but unforeseen money that people received out of nowhere. Maybe they got an inheritance from somebody they didn't expect. Maybe somebody sold something. They had extra money. And and those miracles happen. They, they don't happen every day, but they do happen. And, you know, frankly, as we see this transition in wealth that we're going to see as the baby boomer, boomers pass away, there's, there's a huge amount of wealth that's going to transfer. So being able to understand money and manage it and look at it appropriately, um, we haven't really talked about tithing, but God rewards people that are that are sacrificial givers, um, and we never want to lose sight of that. Steve has offered uh, to serve as a personal financial counselor uh, for anyone who needs it. So we'll include Steve's email in the show notes, and if you're trying to work through a budget or have some specific questions, uh, you can email Steve directly, maybe set up a time to have coffee, and uh, he would welcome that conversation. Uh, lastly, uh, we have some podcast uh, suggestions that are not necessarily like Christian or biblical podcasts, but just have some common grace wisdom. Uh, Steve, what's your favorite? Well, I, I list the Motley Fool because I'm in the investment business. So that's something that I really enjoy. And it's uh, it's on Spotify. So I listen to that in my car all the time. And I look really smart when I talk to clients. It's like, guess what I heard about Tesla today or whatever. So that that is something I enjoy. The other thing, I'm glad that we talked about this for a second. I have a really good friend of mine that I used to work with who is a certified um, financial analyst. Um, and she wrote a book. I'm sorry certified financial planner and she wrote a book called money boss mom um and her name is jamie bossy and she um, wrote a and and the right on the cover of the book it says helping young parents be the boss of their financial future and it's really written in very easy terms it's a it's a paperback but it really helps people kind of get their arms around putting a budget together and things they could talk to their kids about and how they can get a hold of and understand their financial situation. She is really good. And so um, that, that's certainly a book that I would highly recommend young parents and not necessarily just young parents, but parents consider, uh, consider reading. Yeah, thanks for that, Steve. Two other suggestions, uh, Rich Habits and The Money Guys, both of those are uh, in, in the top financial podcast on Spotify and um, other podcast platforms, and in particular, Rich Habits. I love those guys. Uh, learned a lot about uh, managing money. Again, not from a biblical perspective, but just common grace wisdom.
Awesome. We will put those podcasts and the book, um, as well as some other recommended reading in the show notes with links to find all of them. But this has been really incredible, both practical um, really challenging insights to continue chewing on. So thank you, Steve, so much for lending your time and your experience and your stories to help us process and consider these insights for ourselves. We have more conversations like this queued up for the series. Brian, will you share with everyone really quickly what's coming up? Uh, yeah, next week, um, the sermon is entitled Why Be Generous? And we're going to talk about why why is generosity a fundamental calling for us as human beings and what gets in the way of that? In the third week, we're going to specifically be talking about tithing and God's vision for that in our life. And then in the final uh, week of the sermon series, we're going to talk about good stewardship and get into more uh, details around uh, kind of common sense vision of uh, our relationship with money as Christians, everything from budgeting to saving to investing. Awesome. And as a reminder, we'd love to take your questions throughout the series, questions you have about generosity, about stewardship of resources, about God's desire for our relationship to money and wealth, about tithing, um, anything, please share those with us. I'll put a link in the show notes where you can submit those questions via our website or email and we will share them and discuss them with our guests throughout the series. So thank you for joining us for today's conversation, and we look forward to more next week. Bye.